Welcome to Aardvark Avarice. I'm your host, Harry Carey. Hey, everybody! This podcast is brought to you by the Mac and Whoopi hockey team, who know how to put the puck in the net. From the right side, left side, or right down the center, this team can really lay down a dirty dangle and pepper a muffin right between the pillows. Don't worry, there are no conspiracies here. Listen up, boyo. We want 40,000 quid for the safe return of... <laughs> Oi, sugar. Shut your manky nag. I'm up to 90 fixing an Ixer. Bring the spoon dollocks to the snug of the Europa Hotel. And... <laughs> Stop acting the maggot, you goob shite. I'll fetch you out what I'm doing. Poxy idiot. You're bollocks. Did you ever wonder why you never see a Buddhist monk playing hopscotch? I know. I've wondered that many times myself. Do you think there is some sort of ancient Buddhist cancel culture that put hopscotch on the do not playlist? Was Siddhartha just atrocious at it and decided if he couldn't succeed at hopscotch, no Buddhist will? Do the monks worry their robes would fly up and everybody will know they wear granny panties? Or is there a mystical dance with a similar one-foot, two-foot sequence that calls on the destructive power of Yamataka, the destroyer of death? Who's to say? But hopscotch, or a version of it, is described in the Vinaya Pitaka as one of several games forbidden to devout Buddhists. Unusual Wikipedia articles actually has a list of games the Buddha said he would not play, and as such, neither will his disciples. This includes, but not limited to, real or imagined board games with 8 or 10 rows, games with dice, pick-up sticks, ball games, or guessing a person's thoughts. He very specifically put the kibosh on dipping the hand with fingers stretched out in lac, or red dye, or flower water, and striking the wet hand on the ground or on a wall calling out, What shall it be? and showing the form required. Elephants, horses, etc. Aw oh, man, there goes my Saturday night. But hey, if your game is the quiet game, you know where parents challenge you to sit without making a sound for as long as possible, you have the Buddha's blessing. Also, if I'm reading this correctly, you're good to go for first-person shooters, as long as you stick to guns. Buddha frowns on bow sports. Ah, Wiki. Ever the giver of miscellaneous information and filler content for high school research papers. This podcast will focus on those unusual Wiki articles devoted to sports, and not just because I'm looking for a filler podcast. Let's allow Wikipedia to carry us to the South UK to Lyme Regis, where they once held a competition called Conger Cuddling. A conger is a type of eel that grows to about six feet long and found along the Atlantic coast and the Mediterranean Sea. Okay, you have questions. Do they actually cuddle eels? If so, how do you turn that into a competition? Do they see who can cuddle with an eel until it wiggles free, or it bites your face off with razor-sharp teeth? Is there protective gear? Or do all the participants have a rugby-type mentality? All very good questions. And I can see you are getting queasy thinking about it, or you are at least making the ick face. 
Let me reassure all of you by first saying, the eel is dead. Okay, right now you all showed signs of relief that evaporated rather quickly. Cuddling a dead eel still makes you squinchy, doesn't it? Just in a very different way. It also raises all new questions. How dead is the eel? Is it fresh dead, where the body is still warm? Or days dead, starting to smell like gas station sushi? Is the goal now to cuddle with an eel corpse without projectile vomiting? Once again, all good questions. Don't worry, there really isn't any dead eel canoodling involved in conger cuddling. At least, not in the open. That would be absolutely positively ludicrous. No, conger cuddling is where two teams stand on wooden blocks and try to knock each other off by slapping each other with a dead eel tied to a rope. Like civilized people. These two teams are really giving it their all, Tom. You're telling me, Dono. Oh, Morgan just took down Smith with a backhanded wet slap to the schnoz. It'll take more than Irish spring to wash that stank off him. That's right, Tom. He'll wake up tomorrow with a cherry wilt smelling like a microwaved haddock. Conger cuddling was called the most fun you could have with a dead fish. I don't know if that's true, because I can think of several things to do with a dead fish, most of which involve leaving them in hidden places that will irritate my brothers with the rancid smell. Still, whirling around a dead eel would at least be interesting. Unfortunately, conger cuddling is no longer in practice, at least not with an actual eel. In 2006, they decided to end the competition because animal rights activists threatened to campaign against it. I can see it now. PETA posers, Alicia Silverstone, Gillian Anderson, Olivia Munn, and Pink leading a protest through Lyme Regis with placards and shouting, Don't be a donga, drop that conga. Learn to feel, save the eels. Don't be a donga, drop that conga. Learn to feel, save the eels. Apparently, the event was disrespecting fish. Can you imagine that conversation between two slighted eels? Oi, Artie, did you hear what they're doing in Lyme Regis? No, Phyllis, I heard. They're flogging each other with dead congas. No, no, I don't believe it. It's true, they've made it a sport. I don't know what to say. I just don't know. I feel so disrespected. Right. That's what I said to Arlene. It's one thing to haunt us with nets, skin us up, and then fry our carcasses in garlic and butter, or even to throw us in chowders with common lobsters and mollusks and frogs. Even I go for the girl pulling once in a while. Well, you're a moray, aren't you? It's understandable. I always wondered why you didn't take a bit out of my tail. Oh, you Spanish taste sour. No offense. None taken. At least you're not flinging around a dead eel for sport. Butchering our beautiful sleek bodies is just heinous. They're jealous. That's what it is. Can't take how gorgeous our supine bodies are next to their bulgy lumpy corpulence. I hope they get red welts. They become infected, and they lose their limbs to gangrene. Oh, I do wish that. I hear you, Artie. I hear you. I guess for some in Lyme Regis, the loss of the tradition was an eel catastrophe. Do you eel me? <laughs>
Honestly, there are plenty of other horrible sports listed in unusual Wikipedia articles animal rights activists can latch onto. Ferret legging, or the activity of tossing a ferret down your pants. Goose pulling, or hanging a goose from a rope, riding under it on a horse, and seeing if you can pull its head off. Turkey bowling, you can guess that one, but can you guess whether the turkey is dead or alive? I'll let that one be a mystery. And finally, octopus wrestling. Is that where octopi wrestle each other? Or do humans wrestle the octopus? Do people just want to reenact the Kraken scene from Pirates of the Caribbean? Again, I leave that for you to figure out. Those all sound pretty brutal, and not at all animal woke. Let's move on to something a little more PC, and talk about Fatso, the fat arse wombat. Are you surprised he's Australian? Fatso was created by illustrator Paul Newell as a parody of the 2000 Sydney Olympics mascots Ollie, Millie, and Sid. They also have a wiki article. But a kookaburra, a platypus, and echidna are not cool enough to be on the list of unusual Wikipedia articles. I think the Paralympics mascot Lizzie would have a shot. That's if she dumped the rest of the band and went solo. She kind of reminds you of a Dilophosaurus in Jurassic Park, the one that shoots Newman in the face with poisonous tar before the camera cuts away, where I assume they snuggle. Anyway, Fatso became a bigger sensation than the official mascot, even appearing with gold winners Susie O'Neill, Grant Hackett, and the Australian men's 4x200 relay team. His popularity irked the Olympic Committee, who actually tried to ban athletes from posing with Fatso. I guess he was putting a hurt on their plush and t-shirt sales. And kiddos everywhere were crying in dismay when their McDonald's Happy Meal came with a lame platypus instead of a big rump wombat. His legacy continued well beyond the Olympics. Fatso made an appearance on a stamp with the relay team, brought a cool 80 grand for charity with the auction of the uber-rare Fatso plush, and was immortalized with a statue until some bogandero pilfered it. Nicknamed the Battler's Prince, Fatso continues to be recognized as officially the best unofficial Olympic mascot in history. Did you know there is a game simply titled The Game? Where you lose when you think about the game. There are three rules. One, everybody in the world is playing. Even Colin Kaepernick. Number two, you think about the game, you've lost. In which case, I've lost a dozen times writing this. Number three, you must announce that you've lost either one person near you, on a social media post, or while jumping up and down on Oprah's couch. Legend has it the game, you lose, was created in 1977 by a group called the Cambridge University Science Fiction Society, who were trying to break the game theory over a couple microbrews. 1977... Yeah, we know an IPA wasn't their only muse that night. The game, you lost again, well, it doesn't really fall into my bucket list, but I'm sure there are some it might intrigue, like Garfield's owner, John Arbuckle, whose interests include watching linoleum curl, listening to pool filter suck leaves, reading the yellow pages, and Zeppo Marx. Have you ever heard of Babe Ruth? No, not the candy bar although both of them were chewy and a bit nutty. 
Babe Ruth was one of the best baseball players of all time. The Great Bambino. The Sultan of Swat. The Colossus of Clout. Oh, that Babe Ruth. The King of Crash. What if I said his autograph sells for less than a baseball player who made one appearance? Would you believe me? Eddie Goodall. He made one plate appearance for the St. Louis Browns in 1951, where he walked on four straight balls. He too has a Wikipedia page. Why? Because he was the shortest person to appear in a Major League Baseball game. At three foot seven and weighing only 60 pounds, he makes my nine-year-old look like Andre the Giant. A publicity stunt? Yes, but one that is permanently marked down in the books. With a strike zone that Robin Hood couldn't hit, Goodell easily drew the walk and has an official perfect on-base percentage. For his efforts, he received $100, a standing ovation, and his jersey displayed at the St. Louis Baseball Hall of Fame with the number 1-8. Speaking of sports autographs, if you purchased any signed memorabilia by Taro Sujimato, such as a hockey jersey, or sports card. Sorry, it's a fake. Taro Sujimato was drafted by the National Hockey League's Buffalo Sabres in 1974 with their 183rd pick. Funny thing is, there was no Taro Sujimato. Also funny, general manager George Punch Imlock knew this. Irritated by the slow draft process that allowed teams to keep picking until every Canuck was drafted out of Manitoba League, Imlock wanted to have a little fun. Would you expect anything less from a guy nicknamed Punch? Not only was Sujimato marked down in all the draft logs, Punch kept the ruse right up to training camp, with Buffalo staff playing along. Can you imagine some of the press reports? With the 183rd pick, Buffalo selects Taro Sujimato, listed as a 5'8", 180-pound center from the Tokyo Katanas. This year, Sujimato put up 15 goals and 25 points. Reports say Sujimato is at the Himalayan sports facility Shangri-La, but general manager Punch Imlock believes the new Sabre will arrive soon. Sabre's staff are notably excited stating he at times will disappear during a game because he is so fast, you don't even see him. It sounds like the pride of Tokyo has all the makings of a hockey legend. Are you ready for Bladderball? Bladderball comes from those lovable miscreants over at Yale University, known for their adorable bulldog mascot, Handsome Dan. They also have an extensive tapeworm collection, and they are training monkeys to use money. I don't know why, since the monkeys are just going to be replaced by AI, like everything else. From the 50s to the 80s, Yale resident houses and extracurricular clubs would congregate on old campus prior to the yearly Yale-Dartmouth football game and fight for possession of a six-foot inflated ball. I know it doesn't sound like a big deal, and it doesn't sound all that unusual either, but Bladderball was officially disbanded by the president in 1982 after a string of injuries and years of antisocial behavior, such as a mob of drunk co-eds trampling some poor bystander huddling in his car. 
There are conflicting histories as to why it's called bladder ball. One theory takes the name all the way back to the 19th century, when a hybrid rugby soccer game was played on New Haven Green with a ball made from the actual bladder of an animal. Ugh. A more simpler reasoning is that large quantities of alcohol were consumed before a bladder ball competition, and full bladders are the end result. Another vague aspect of the game is determining who wins, since there is no set rule for scoring. The result can be so hazy that a more fierce competition arose over who could come up with the most convincing declaration of winning. Bogus articles and news broadcasts were quite common with the Yale Daily News, always claiming victory year after year with a score of 906 to nothing. Let's finish up with robot jockeys. That's robot jockeys on a camel. Believe it or not, many nations, including Qatar, United Arab Emirates, Bahrain, and Saudi Arabia, have started to phase out human camel jockeys in favor of robots, mainly because of outcries of abuse. If you're thinking because of the abuse of the camels, I would have to say, au contraire, mon frere. While it is labeled the sport of sheiks, camel jockeys were most often children. Eesh. So, yeah, I'm all for robot camel jockeys. How about you, PETA? Do you want to take that as at least a half win and call it a day? Can you imagine, though, C-3PO riding a camel? Ah, oh, too? Get me off this thing! I'll end up in a scrapyard for sure! Well, that does it for today. I'd like to thank our sponsor, the Mac and Whoopi hockey team, who have the most talented stick handlers in the region. These guys really know how to throw down. Look no further than plumber Alexander Salmon, who spends as much time in the sin bin as he does smacking the cheese. Until next time, this is Howard Cosell saying, be good, be kind, and enjoy the Limburger. And that's the way it is. <laughs> Snap and clean it, snap and clean it, snap and clean it.